You're listening to Leaders Last. Leaders Last. With your host, Dr. David Robertson. All right, welcome back to another edition of Leaders Last. I'm your host, Dr. David Robertson. Thank you so much for being a part of the program. This week, I got involved in a conversation about the supposed single most important leadership skill. Individuals talking about emotional intelligence. Of course, you probably already know by now that I don't think ambiguous, relative, immeasurable, and lofty skills should be our primary emphasis. Well, today I'm going to provide an example as to why. Of course, I have to start the show with a question. Do you prefer good information or positive information? Today will be good information. We may not like it. Or we may not like that we sometimes have to use this information, but it's good information all the same. And when we think about important leadership skills, we have to think in broader terms. Are the most important things the things that are nice when they're convenient, or things that work when you need them the most? I can think of a lot of things more important than EQ, adaptability being one of them. Now before I get into my main points, I think it's important to share that being able to control your emotions is vital. Of course, that's what emotional intelligence used to mean. Controlling your emotions in the face of whatever's before you. That's great, and yes, that's important. But in the 2020s, emotional intelligence usually means something else. In recent years, emotional intelligence usually refers to understanding the feelings of others and reacting to those feelings in a suitable way. Which is also great, don't get me wrong, but sometimes this is just not possible or even responsible. Another thing that's bothersome is that this contortion tends to be selective and weaponized against those making decisions that people don't like. But perhaps that's a different podcast. Well, I don't know. I guess it's somewhat related. I guess we'll see. You know, it's funny. I've often said that the person who can anticipate a problem is one of the most valuable people on the team. And I truly believe that. In fact, I believe that this is the person that every true leader should have a strong working relationship with. And if they're adaptable, trainable, and vision-focused, you might very well have the most valuable person on your team. The problem here is that this person is often seen as negative. Why? Because they're anticipating problems. But here's the deal. These people are seemingly genetically programmed to see and anticipate problems before they arise. And this isn't a bad thing. It's a great thing. If you know how to use it. Just know that these people are protectors. Who wouldn't want that? And granted, over the course of their lives, they've been told that they're negative. They've been told that they're pessimists. And they eventually begin to carry themselves accordingly. But I'm telling you, these people are highly valuable. In fact, in my opinion, some of these people often make the best crisis leaders. And frankly, any organization would be wise to find these individuals, train them, and allow them to use their inherent skills and talents to mitigate organizational problems either before or after they arise. Of course, the problem here is that these individuals are often pushed out of an organization due to the lack of cultural fit. And for that matter, some of these people will never get hired in the first place due to a lack of cultural fit, which is unfortunate, but it's the reality. But it's also a strategic advantage for those who understand the value and ensure that they're on the team. But let's be real, crisis leadership is necessary. Because a crisis is one of those things that can smack you in the face when you least expect it. And if you're not ready for it, if you haven't planned for it, it can be far worse than it needed to be. But if you had a true crisis leader on your team, 
Well, that changes things. Now, in reality, we could be talking about a variety of things. Fire, mass shooting, cyber attacks, theft, market collapse, war, or even just a competitor who's doing it better than your organization. But most people don't like to think about these things, and they don't like to admit to themselves that these are very real possibilities. So instead of facing these issues, they ignore them and hope that it all works out. Well, that's not a good leadership tactic, in my opinion. Crisis leadership embraces the reality of the situation and seeks to mitigate the issues so it's far less destructive when and if it happens. Crisis leadership is the active shooter scenario training. Being trained saves lives. Or better yet, it's the fire extinguisher. It's there if you need it, and it works great if you know how to use it. But you still have it, even though the chances are pretty good that the building won't catch fire today. But if you don't have one, and if you don't know how to use it, big, big trouble. So let me define this. Crisis leadership is the process of responding to an organization's challenges, big or small, and or preventing them from occurring in the future. But how does this happen exactly? Actually, let me ask you a different question. Do you think crisis leadership happens when you have idealized versions of what leadership is? Or when we use idealized approaches? or ignore the potentials, or only focus on the positives, or build our leadership approaches around feelings? It almost makes you sick to think about it, doesn't it? It does me. Anyway, let's explore it. So if you're going to actually deploy crisis leadership, you need to know how to make critical decisions, effectively communicate, and implement effective strategies to mitigate the impact of the crisis. Well, that sounds technical, doesn't it? That's because it is. It's all about critical, or more pointedly, sound, strategic, decisive, and effective decision-making. And that's because in these types of situations, there's usually very little time for consensus. Very little time for organizational polls to see how everyone feels about the situation. I can promise you that during an active shooter scenario, I'm not thinking about your feelings. Other than I hope you don't get frozen with fear. We need to react, and we need solid vision-focused decisions. But it's usually better if the thought process occurred before the crisis. But if a crisis does occur, I'd rather be seen as a jerk by the people whose lives I saved rather than know that the people who died at least saw me as a good person. I mean, you have to think. This type of leadership is about resolving problems. But more importantly, to learn from the experience so as to prevent similar crises from occurring in the future. This is sort of like how we learned that it's important to have a fire extinguisher in the office before a fire breaks out. But unfortunately, we had to learn that through tragedy. But it makes me wonder, do you think the guy who looked around the shop and saw the flammable stuff and kept warning about the potentials for a fire, do you think that he was seen as a pessimist? Well, if human nature is a guide, then probably. In fact, I imagine the guy was probably fired for being negative, and then the building burned down. And when you think about effective crisis leadership, we have to understand that it requires a couple of things. For starters, the ability and willingness to learn, to be able to admit to yourself that something went wrong, and that you might be responsible for the conditions contributing to the problem. Now, that's a tall order. If for nothing other than needing to be humble enough to admit that things are not perfect. Of course, this also means that leaders need to be able to turn to their subject matter experts instead of trying to sell themselves on the idea that they do or somehow need to know everything. Because they don't, 
and they don't. But it's a process. So we have to begin with identification and preparation. Look, you can't solve a problem unless it's been properly identified, and it won't ever be identified if you're unwilling to see it. So if you happen to be an optimist, it's probably not best that you're the one in charge of planning. You have to understand that effective crisis leadership starts with identifying potential risks and vulnerabilities that could lead to a crisis. And if you're doing it right, this happens before the crisis. But this requires a considerable amount of time. In this process, you're doing things like risk assessments and scenario planning and developing contingency plans. These are unpopular and time-consuming. So guess what doesn't happen near enough in organizations, especially smaller ones? But these are what prepare you for potential adverse situations. And I can promise you this, this doesn't happen through a focus on whatever guru nonsense happens to be popular this week. And let me just revisit that idea for a second. Imagine that you have to take quick and decisive action. In other words, crisis occurs. Now you have to act swiftly and decisively. You need to assess the situation, gather information, and make critical decisions to address the immediate challenges. In situations like this, you might make a call that people don't like. You might make a call without collaborating with the team. You might even make a call in such a way that is not the most polite way to communicate it. Now, does that make you a bad leader or a good leader? Well, in a crisis situation, time is of the essence, and any delayed action can exacerbate the crisis, which of course leads to more significant negative consequences. If you're controlling your emotions, you may come across as curt. If the stakes are high, you might even raise your voice or be short with someone. And when you put these together, you might come across as a jerk. And right there, proof positive that an all-or-nothing approach or expectation is not in anyone's better interests. Now, communication is key in these situations, no doubt. Not emotional intelligence, though. Well, not unless we're talking about controlling your own emotions. I'd say that emotional control would be pretty important here. That is true. But if a car's barreling towards you, and I yell at you and push you out of the way, I'm not going to be concerned about how you don't like to be pushed or yelled at or if I pushed you too hard, for that matter. And if you complain about it too much, I'll just put you back in the road. <laughs> it's not a conversation, it's direction. And depending on the situation, sometimes this communication needs to extend to employees, customers, investors, media, and even the public, which means part of this planning should include communication plans. Honest and timely communication helps manage expectations, reduce uncertainty, and build trust. And you can just think about when a crisis has occurred in the past and you didn't get timely and honest communication from the organization. How do you feel about that organization now? So you have to communicate effectively. But it's not just words. You're not just conveying what happened or whatever and hoping that it works out. It's the GF communication model. It's what, why, and what success looks like. And like I said, adaptability and flexibility are important as well. Crisis situations are unpredictable. That's a fact. And you've probably heard it before, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Well, effective leaders have to be adaptable and flexible, able to change strategies and approaches for that matter, as circumstances shift. But that also means you have to know a few approaches. You have to have a few of them in your pocket. An all-or-nothing approach to leadership is just a bad idea. And really, on a similar note, we have to admit that the threat landscape changes by the day. Just look at all these AI threats that are coming out. 
which by the way, I should probably be clear about that, it's not the AI doing bad stuff. It's bad people doing bad stuff with AI. Well, how do you stop a bad guy using AI? You stop him with a good guy using AI. But that means that crisis leadership has to involve continuous learning and evolution, not only about potential problems, but also from any crisis experiences that might be had. And what I'm talking about here is that after the immediate situation is under control, effective leaders analyze what went wrong, what went right, and how the organization can improve its crisis response in the future. Again, time-consuming, but necessary. Which brings us to crisis prevention. Crisis leadership is not just about managing crises as they happen, but also about preventing them whenever possible. But like I said, this involves acknowledging and embracing the negative, the supposed negative, and then implementing robust risk leadership practices. And by the way, when we learn from past mistakes, and I mean critically reflecting upon those mistakes, that's what builds resilience, which is actually really important for resilient leadership. But again, that's probably a different podcast. Of course, it's also a clue for our personal lives. Don't ignore the mistakes. Don't just write them off and hope that things work out in the future. Critically reflect upon them and weaponize them. Anyway, we want to head a problem off before it starts. And for clarity, this is called anticipation. But anticipation requires someone willing and able to anticipate potential problems. But again, someone who is anticipating problems is often labeled as a pessimist. And clearly, I disagree. Organizational leaders just need to understand the value and be able to mold it. And that's why I say you need to train these individuals and train them often. So let's start with the basics. First, we have to understand that these individuals are valuable. Then we have to admit that organizations can most definitely harness the abilities of individuals who possess strong problem anticipation skills in a constructive and positive manner. Moreover, we need to understand that leveraging such skills can lead to better organizational performance, risk mitigation, and overall growth. And once you've come to terms with this reality, and once you've allowed yourself the opportunity to embrace the idea that outcomes matter, and that vision is indeed important, and then, of course, you give your team or organization the gift of pursuing merit of thought, then you begin your journey into excellence. Of course, the next step is getting a vision-oriented team together, which means getting everyone on board with the organization's vision and aligning everyone's effort in pursuit of that vision. You'll notice a theme throughout my podcasts where I talk about that quite a bit. But then you go out of your way to identify the unique talent of anticipation on your team, or you hire for it. Once you have this person or people, then the organization can offer training programs that focus on problem-solving methodologies, critical thinking, risk assessment, and strategic planning. And let me just be abundantly clear here. You'll notice that I'm not talking about wasting time and training on empathy, emotional intelligence, community building, and things of that nature. I'm talking about training the skills that are actually going to be valuable in anticipating potential issues and finding solutions before they escalate. Now let's pay homage to the idea that I'm, once again, talking about continuous learning. This is a constant leadership theme. In our organizations, we have to encourage a culture of continuous learning and development. But this is especially true if we're wanting to stop problems before they occur. And let me provide one more warning on that note. Don't use development as a punishment. 
All you're going to do is train these people to associate personal development with punishment. That's terrible. I also want you to remember, and this is very much associated, emotion drives bias. And ignorant decisions tend to result in really bad outcomes. We don't need biased and disastrous outcomes, so we need to encourage our teams to challenge the nonsensical status quo and continually learn. And on a similar note, don't buy into the hype that education and learning are not important or dumb or not worth it or boring or whatever. And this is especially true for individuals with problem anticipation abilities. They need to stay up to date with industry trends, technological advancements, and potential threats. Well, this means that leaders need to encourage and even participate in the learning and exploration. Then you need to not punish them for sharing the potentially negative information. It cracks me up how organizations shut down dissenting views. Well, that's where innovation comes from. That's where protection comes from. If we could just foster a collaborative work environment where employees feel comfortable sharing concerns and potential problems without fear of retribution, they'd be considerably more agile. So, encourage open communication and brainstorming sessions to identify potential problems early on, and you win. And by the way, if you find these people on your teams, you might consider putting them in a role that better suits them. First of all, they'll be much happier being rewarded for their natural tendencies, and your organization will be better off for it. So what roles are we talking about here? Well, there are a few. For example, individuals with strong problem anticipation skills tend to be valuable assets in risk management roles. Um, asset protection, project management's another good one. Quality assurance as well. Think about it. These roles require the individual to assess potential risks and help develop strategies to mitigate them effectively. In some cases, you know, they identify obstacles and they find defects in the plans and products. These are all great things. However, if you put this person in the wrong position, you're going to have a negative situation on your hands. See, a part of being a true leader is understanding what people are naturally good at, knowing where to place your people. And frankly, this is one of my many issues with the recent trend of servant-or-nothing leadership nonsense. Anyway, back to the point. I'll tell you, one of my favorite positions to place these people into is a crisis leadership role. Because again, these people are great at anticipating and preparing for crisis potentials, which enables the organization to respond swiftly and effectively. And when you know what's available to you, you can take this skill to a completely different level. And you do this by training them in strategic forecasting. I often say that strategic forecasting is like linear projection injected with chaos theory. Now, this skill is all about anticipating future trends, challenges, and opportunities. But it's also an extremely rare skill. Now, I'll try to explain this. Think about maybe some of the people you've seen on various videos, right? Talking about a potential problem that is sure to come in the coming months or years, right? Only what they're saying goes against basically the consensus. However, when the time comes, they're right. Well, that's what I'm talking about here. Imagine having this person on your team. Of course, no one would like to hear what this person has to say, but if you listen to them, you're much better off. And when you have someone who's good at this, you get all sorts of benefits. Strategic decisions, risk mitigation, strategic resource allocation, innovation, adaptation, longer-term planning. 
And really, when you think about it, all of this gives the organization a very strong competitive advantage. But again, this is a rare skill. But thankfully, it's also a learned skill. So once you identify the tendency, you have to encourage and train it and then allow them time to master it. It definitely takes time to hone this skill. And you know what? Actually, I'll just give you that recipe right now. Organizationally speaking, this person has to understand the business at hand. So you teach them the business. This could be market dynamics, the organization's internal strengths, and more importantly, its weaknesses. Personally, I think an understanding of statistics is probably important as well. Data analysis to a certain degree. The fun part is learning about forecasting models. Time series analysis, trend uh, extrapolation, scenario planning, and predictive modeling. These are a lot of fun. Granted, each method has its strengths and weaknesses, but that's also why you learn more than one. Just keep in mind that being well-versed in multiple approaches enhances forecasting accuracy. And then, of course, there's study. This person has to be updated on stuff. It could be industry trends, economic indicators, technological advancements, geopolitical developments, and so on. Look, you have to understand that all of these things impact your organization. The problem that most organizations have uh, when they have this type of person, they tend to complain that they're always on the internet. Well, yeah, that's a huge part of strategic forecasting. You have to consume information to consider. If we were back 30 years ago, it would be radio, news, newspapers, and magazines. Anyway, it takes practice. Mastery through repetition, though. But if it were my organization... I'd be sending these people to workshops and seminars on strategic forecasting all the time, or at the very least, enrolling them in online courses. Anyway, I guess the point is that bad things happen. Shootings, hacking, war, or even just aggressive competition. But we have a choice. We can try to head problems off before they happen and mitigate the problems as they occur, or we can give each other hugs after we realize that everything fell through or blew up. We do get to choose. And by not choosing, you've still made the choice. For me, I choose effective crisis leadership every time. But is effective crisis leadership going to happen via ambiguous soft skills and emotional emphasis? No. The things we're talking about here require hard and practice skills. And no, not everyone can do this. And no, not everyone wants to. But I'll give you this. Once the hard stuff is done, once the storm is passed, that's a great place for the ambiguous and emotional soft skills. It's the hug and a glass of water after the storm has passed. A crisis can result in immense stress for everyone. So this is your time to show empathy and provide support to those affected by the crisis. And sure, you know, look, if you can show some during the crisis when it's safe to do so, feel free. But either way, if you want to survive the crisis... If you want the competitive advantage, you need strategically informed crisis leadership. And if you think that's a negative thought, then I guess my point has been made. Yeah, it's funny because everyone wants to call themselves a leader until it's time to do real leadership stuff. But I'll tell you this, a leadership title doesn't weather the storm, and neither do ambiguous soft skills. And sure, everyone's a leadership expert until they have to discuss things like this. My advice, be very, very careful about who you listen to. Now, here's another decision we have to make. 
Do we want idealized approaches or ideal outcomes? I'm pretty sure you can't have both. Seems to me that if outcomes matter, we can't allow our people to fall into the trap of ineffective and idealized approaches to leadership. We need actionable, effective, and vision-oriented efforts. That's what's going to get us our ideal outcomes. Anyway, that's probably enough for today. Hopefully you found some value in today's podcast. If you did, be sure to like, share, and subscribe. I would appreciate that. All right, that does it for me. Until next time, take care.